So good to have you here today, and I would love to have you do two things as you settle back in. First of all, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, prophecy of Isaiah chapter 44, which is the first text we will visit today. Today, moving around to a number of texts, more so than we normally do, but nonetheless, that's where we'll start. And then as well, the study notes in your bulletin will give you some idea of where we're going. I know that will be helpful to you. One of the things that I have enjoyed down through the years is stories of, of uh, deliverance, stories of escape. And, of course, uh, when I was younger, um, I, I remember watching the movie The Great Escape. Some of you appreciate that. I think a 1963 movie that tells the story of some British prisoners of war in a prison camp in Poland during the World War II days. And The Tunnel to Freedom. How many of you have watched this movie? You have some idea? The rest of you, okay, should watch The Great Escape. Uh, pretty cool. Of course, highly uh, affected by Hollywood as opposed to reality. But it, it, the way it actually worked out, apparently 76 prisoners made it through the tunnel to make a, a beeline for freedom. And of those 76, 50 were killed, 23 recaptured, 3 out of 76 made it to freedom. Can you imagine? Well, uh, one story, of course, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Some of you have, have, I hate to say, enjoyed that, watched it, um, agonized your way through it. Other stories of of release and captivity and so on. And of course, this year's Advent series is based on one as well. And uh, just to orient all of us uh, together uh, on your study notes, of course, is the seven-year plan that we follow in telling the story of redemption. And we're in the middle, year number four. And of course, this year's Advent um, production, this, the, the play we did a couple weeks ago and our preaching series, is built around the story and history of the Jewish captives taken away to Babylon right? Nation of Israel, Old Testament, nation split into north and the south. North went away captivity, uh, in captivity to Assyria, to Syria, and then the, the south taken away by Babylon. Seventy years they were to be enslaved. Uh, Seventy years due to them continually, be careful here, ignoring the warnings of God. Ignoring the warnings of God. 70, 70 years of captivity was, the, was what was going to happen because of that. And, um, of course, then the, the, as the play unfolded, the day came when those captives were released and able to go back home. We're going to look at some of those details today because today we kind of want to come full circle. We've talked about God's presence in seasons of darkness. And today we want to talk about that, that release, that freedom, redemption, and the trip back, in a sense, to the promised land. So today, uh, moving from darkness to light, really, and hence the, the title for the day, Joy to the World, the Lord has Come. And I hope this morning will be an encouragement uh, to us all. So I want to pray for us, and we'll get after it this morning. So pray with me, then, if you would, please. Our Father, again, today we acknowledge before you our profound need for your work in us. We are in greater need of your, of your deep work and your repair, your forgiveness, than, than we even know. Uh, we need your word uh, daily applied to us by the Spirit of God, to just continually to, to bathe us in truth 
to turn our feet back to you as we sometimes turn away. So our Father, we, we pray for your, your help right now as we open the Bible together, that you would meet us here, and then that you would help each of us uh, who participate this morning together, all of us, uh, to, to hear the parts from the Scripture and by the Spirit of God that we so desperately need. So come now, help us inhabit the preaching of your word uh, for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you look at the sermon notes in front of you, not only the look back at our Advent series, but also a word of review, I gave you there the text that we visited last week, Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8, Isaiah 9, among a number of other things. And we, we saw specifically that, that God does not abandon his children in their seasons of darkness. And that is good news indeed, because we, uh, we have seasons of darkness too, not typically exactly the same as the people in the story that we're looking at. Our seasons of darkness are different, but they come nonetheless. Sometimes it's seasons of grief, sometimes struggles, sometimes depression, sometimes difficulties from others uh, having done things to us, um, said things to us. Sometimes it's our own errors. But we saw in the last couple of weeks God's presence with us in our seasons of darkness. I am so glad for that. I, I am. Because along with you, seasons of darkness are not just things that other people walk through. Uh, I have them too. And God's presence in them is so good and so real. And I'm grateful. Uh, we, we saw specifically in the story that is our backdrop that God does not abandon his people in their seasons of darkness, even when, as was the case, it was really their fault. He didn't say to them, well, you asked for it. Uh, Or as we mentioned last week, you made your bed, now you can lie in it. He, He didn't do that. No, even as he brought discipline to bear in their life, he, he, he was present with them. He cared for them. He didn't give up on them walked alongside, drew them back to himself. I'm so grateful. And of course, then that second little bullet point in that section, Jeremiah 23, is where that was based. Of course, God promised in the midst of that difficulty, justice, true justice, consolation, a great savior, future redemption, all of that we looked at last week. Well, today then, as I mentioned, we want to, we want to, we'll touch base with some of the elements of struggle, but we want to move, we want to move to that moment of freedom, and not only look at it in the historical sense, but for our own hearts as well, to look at that greater day of freedom that is yet to come for us. And there is a greater day of freedom yet to come. There is. And we want that to be front and center for us. So I have our Bibles open then to Isaiah 44, because this is one of the texts where God speaks into history and uh, you, you, you see the heading here, God prompted a pagan king to grant freedom to the Jewish captives after 70 years. Well, indeed he did, and he told about it ahead of time. And I'm going to read this lengthy section, because here God tells of his intent, and he names the name of a king yet to come. Interestingly, as I read this, I just want this on your mind as I do this. There have been some who've looked at the book of Isaiah and said, You all who think it was written ahead of time are clearly wrong. That can't be because he names a king who wasn't even born yet. How could there be a prophet who would write something and name a king who wasn't born yet? Nobody can do that. And of course, the answer is 
But God can. Isn't that right? As you read in the book of Daniel, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. So God, who knows the end from the beginning, can certainly say something accurate about the future, do you think? And indeed, he does so here. So uh, look with me then at the text, and let's hear together uh, God's word. Isaiah, a prophet who spoke for God in the darkness. And we read this, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins, who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers." who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I'll break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And he goes on from there. Amen, by the way. Amen. So, now listen, this is, this is an amazing text in its historical setting and in its application as we percolate on it as well. Here's why. At the moment, during that season of darkness, Israel is a nation devastated. Walls torn down, houses burned, temple destroyed, people ravished, a few people taken captive. Listen, there was no human reason for hope. None. Any smart person who would have walked by would not have looked at that land and said, this too shall be rebuilt. There was no human reason to think that it could ever live again. You ever seen anything like that? Got any of those in your life? That'll never work. That person will never change. That situation will never repair. It'll never live again. Well, Yes, except that there is a God in heaven who can call the dead to life. And so here, he says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. You see that? Chapter 44, 26. She shall be inhabited. Those walls will be rebuilt. Against, against all human reason, God speaks the impossible. And by the way, I'm going to use some guy named Cyrus Pagan king, 
he will do my bidding. He will do my bidding. Now, I have on your study sheet then a couple of things. Not only the granting of freedom, there's one of your little fill-ins if you haven't cheated already and looked at the end. But the second little bullet point, God did it. This is in fact what he did. This uh, prophecy looking ahead is in fact what God did. And I reference your Proverbs 21, 1, which is a verse you really should know. The heart of the king is as a channel of water in the hand of the Lord. The rest of the verse says he turns it. He turns it whichever way he wishes. The heart of the king is like a channel of water in the hands of the Lord. The heart of the king, should I repeat that again? Is like a channel of water in the hands of the Lord. He, God, God can turn a heart. God alone can turn a heart. The heart of the king, he says. Well, indeed, it plays out in history, of course, with King Cyrus. God can say, here's what he will do, because I know that he will. I'll make sure he does. Well, I want to go to Ezra then. Now, I'm going backward. You're aware that your Old Testament is not laid out chronologically. Um, Back to the books of history. So Ezra then, a scribe, a priest, who likely is the one who wrote both Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra is going to bring back people to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah is going to bring back people to to, to rebuild the walls. Those things are taking place in history. We're coming to that moment where the 70 years are complete. And so we read then in Ezra 1, this amazing pronouncement from Cyrus. By the way, it says king of Persia. You might wonder, well, how come it doesn't say king of Babylon? Because isn't that where the people were taken as captives? Well, yes. But Babylon, as a nation, was taken over by Persia, okay? Just the movement of the nations at that time. Of course, you read about that in Daniel, who was a leader during that turnover. But here then, Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, now in charge of Babylon, so to speak. Here's what we read. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, by the way, Jeremiah 25, we saw that a week ago, Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And here it is. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Now, you might recall if you were here for our play, as 500 or so of y'all were, you remember that sitting on that throne over there was Hiram, king of Persia. Well, that's where he was. And he, is, he represented for us that moment when King Cyrus said, you're free to go. Wrapping up 70 years of captivity. Uh, I want to reflect on that moment for a moment. As we saw it portrayed on stage, it is so hard to capture uh, the, the magnitude of that. You all have lived long enough to know that sometimes our lives shift almost overnight, don't they? For good or for evil, for good or for ill. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Where one week it's like this, and a week later 
It's radically different, and frankly, it'll never be the same again. Sometimes it's difficulty, sometimes it's good. And you look back and say, man, I never saw that coming. Well, they certainly had uh, prophecies that said 70 years, but there was a moment, there was a moment when the edict was given, the proclamation given, and freedom came. God working in the heart of a king. I, 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 try, to, I try to wrap my brain around what that's like. And I, I, I want you to think with me just, just about that shift, because certainly there's a historical element which we're looking at today, but it, I, I, I find it so representative of life as well. I have a text here, Psalm 30, um, as you see it there. Uh, Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That's a a great psalm to read. Weeping may last for the night. That is those seasons of darkness. Listen to me, please. Seasons of darkness don't last forever. Do you hear that? Do you believe it? Seasons of darkness do not last forever. Um, Some seasons of darkness, I believe, will be repaired only in heaven, fully repaired. But along the way on this pilgrim journey, there are seasons of darkness that come and go. If you live very long, you know it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some are physical. Some are relational. Some are emotional. Some are who knows what, we don't even know, but we walk in a season of darkness. Wouldn't it be amazing if with every season of difficulty that comes, if God sent you a postcard and told you how long it was going to be? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, this will only be six weeks. Well, that's not bad. I can survive. Well, in this case, uh, history, of course, they had 70 years. That's 70 years. Aren't you glad you didn't get that postcard? That is a very long time. Now, given to a nation, I understand but, but that's a long season. Most of our seasons of difficulty are not that long, 70 years. But sometimes we don't, we don't see the end. And we even begin to believe that that season of darkness is terminal. Like it's going to be this way the rest of my life. I can't see my way out of it. It's so dark. Or the struggle is so intense. I don't know how long I can do this. Or hope is waning and we're not sure. Well, these guys have been captives for 70 years. Tough times. More on that in a minute. But there's a moment, is what I'm saying under this little bullet point, is, is seasons, like in nature, they, they do change. Seasons of darkness don't last forever. Weeping may last for the night. Joy comes with the morning. Now, I want to shift to two psalms, okay? So, uh, if you go with me, I mentioned uh, we're going to look around a little bit. We are. I want to go to two, and the first one, very briefly, because it's pretty dark. Psalm 137 is a, is a, is a, is a hard one to read, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses, and then quickly shift to another one, because the second is, is, our, is our main point today, but I'm going here by way of contrast, all right? So, Psalm 137 is very clearly placed in the Babylonian captivity in terms of its setting. And you capture the, the sadness and the, the, the difficulty and the darkness, and then we'll, we'll move to Psalm 126. 
So I read the first few verses of Psalm 137. Try to picture this, of course. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Yeah, you know, man, yeah, the captives, you're remembering this horrible, horrible experience. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. Lyre was a stringed instrument. We, it's like we put away our, our, put away our music. There are captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. He says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I can't do it. I can't do it. You see the the struggle right here. You're hauled away to this foreign land and your captors say, hey, you got some cool Jewish songs. Sing a few bars for me. And the writer is saying, you know what? This isn't the time for, I can't sing. And again, Psalm 126 only is good news if you remember Psalm 137. I, I, I can hardly sing right now. Uh, the other night, we had Blue Christmas here in this room. Some of you were here. Blue Christmas is a, a, a church service we do. It's a little Christmas event for the people who are grieving. Some who are in that place, acute sense of grief, where they're, they're not going to come sing. And I let them know they don't have to. You can just sit. You don't even have to move your lips. Just be. Just be. Yeah. Psalm 137 is like that. I, don't, I can't sing. I just can't sing. But you sing. And it'll help me. You'll help my heart if you sing. But I'm just going to be. Okay. Psalm 126. Shift quickly. Let Psalm 137 overtake you. Okay? That's not the purpose today. <laughs> Psalm 126 then various uh, takes on what this is about, but it would seem most likely that Psalm 126 is aimed at this period of release. So 70 years, so to speak, separating Psalm 137 from Psalm 126. Um, I want to read this, uh, these six verses, and you'll notice that they, the way the psalm is laid out, it's kind of like two stanzas. If it's a song, verses 1 to 3 form a unit, and verses 4 through 6 also form a unit. If you think about how psalms are put together, there's order and structure, and they follow a recognized plan, as indeed uh, other psalms do. But I want to read these six verses and then think about them together. So Psalm 126, notice the shift in tone. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now a shift to first person. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Okay, stanza two. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert, streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We'll talk about that in a minute. The the contrast is profound. Psalm 126 is a psalm of joy. It's a psalm of, of, of joy that's hard to believe. I don't know if you've had those moments in your life. I hope you've had a few. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a long time ago when you were a child. You finally got that bicycle. That was the biggest thing you could think of. You finally got the bicycle you always wanted or the doll or the whatever it was. And it was that moment. And it was, it was like nothing better. This was it. And so it was like you couldn't find words. You just Maybe you laughed and you ran around in circles and you played with the box. But you know how it is. 
But it's, it's abject joy. Can you believe it? This is the moment where you call a friend or you run outside and say, hey, everybody, I got whatever it was. Or I've got to call somebody. Guess what news I just got? Or on more of an adult level, something you never saw coming, something you thought would never heal, never reconcile. And you got good news for a change. And you just, you had to tell somebody. Has this ever happened to you? Easy now. You might have to think a bit. But Psalm 126 is, a, is an attempt. It's, it's a moment where, where news comes that's better, better than you would dream. Indeed, the writer says, we were like those who dream. Pinch, pinch yourself. Can it be like this? Good news. Restoration. It's the moment where the king said, you're free to go. Now, I'm going to play this tape for just a moment. Not a tape, literally, but you understand. Because we're going to do it again in a few minutes. You're free to go. What does that person do? You tell me. What, what does that person do? Okay, they run back to the area where other people are living. There's no internet. There's no TV. There's no radio. What does that person do? Well, they wander over and they say, well, could we uh, get a cup of coffee, you know? Had an interesting conversation. No, of course not. They're running down the streets shouting, we're free. Aren't you? And people are running out of their houses. Somebody's stirring a pot of soup and they, they go, somebody's shouting. They run outside and they go, what, what, what? We're free. We can go. And they pass the word to another. And man alive, people are coming out of their houses. They're singing and dancing. Pull those, pull those liars off the tree. We're going to sing. Habanagila breaks loose. Children are running around. Excited. We get to go home. Well, whatever home is, most of them have never seen it, have they? 70 years of captivity. Who, who was there? Well, a few, a few, perhaps some, because in the book of Ezra, there were some who were older, who saw the foundation of the new temple being laid and wept because it was so small compared to what they remembered. There were a few who remembered what they left. But for most of the people returning, they weren't even born. They were born in captivity. They weren't born back in the old country. So they're coming to a place they've never seen. Remember in our play, that group of travelers that came up here? None of them was over 70, were they? <laughs> well, no, which means they would have all been born during the captivity. They're going to a place they've never seen, and they're going to arrive at a place where there's, there's weeds, and the walls indeed are broken down, and nobody's lived here in a while, and it looks pretty bad. Okay? But, but, but there, but, so there's, the journey isn't done. The building isn't done. But freedom, freedom has been declared, and there's joy. There's joy there's joy. Listen, doesn't, <laughs> if it's been so long for you since you've had that, don't you long for that? I think our hearts are built for it. The reason you want this, C.S. Lewis would say, is because you were wired for it. You were hardwired by a God who loves joy, whose presence is joy. You're wired to long for it. Listen, I, this is a whole other story. But I really believe that's why we, we, we pursue it so much. Again, C.S. Lewis says a lot about this. We pursue joy because we're created by a God of joy, and we long for it. That's why we're so distressed when the world isn't that way. It's because in our heart of hearts, we long for things to be right, relationships to be whole, ourselves to be whole. We long for this. 
Because we are made for another place by a God who inhabits joyful, joyful dwelling. Well, so this day comes, Psalm 126. Now, the second half of this, the second stanza, if you will, first part, just reflecting. We could hardly believe it. There's no words that we can really put. We shout. So then the second half is, begins with a prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert. Yes, indeed, wonderful scenario. The Negev, certain part of Israel to the south, of course, and to the east. And then a farming analogy that is, that is so powerful. Those who sow in tears shall reap. There will be a harvest. I've never been a, a, a farmer, so I only know about this secondhand in terms of its specific application to farming, sowing and reaping and seed. But, but I, along with you, know something about sowing and reaping. It's what you do every day when you get up and you go about another day. And you hope, don't you? You hope there'll be a harvest. You do right. You hope there'll be a harvest. You raise your kids one more sticky day at a time, and you hope there'll be a payback. Something. You hope. You hope, right? Uh, one more day with your teenagers. It doesn't matter what. You're, you're, you're sowing, maybe with tears. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. Yeah, I know about it. I know what it's like. You've got to get up every morning. You've got to go do this. Life again. You do. And you do it one foot in front of another, counting on a harvest one day. I, I love the description of the ones who sow in tears. Indeed, some days are like that, aren't they? You get up and you do it again. And it may be tears, but you do it. Not just with your teeth gritted, but you do it in hope that you're walking in tears and sowing in tears will make a difference. That'll matter, don't you? That's why you do it. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves. Of course, uh, to the non-farmers among us, sheaves are bundles of grain. You got that. Uh, remember the song? Some of us were raised with bringing in the, let's see, how's it go? Bringing in the sheaves. Or if you were a teenager, bringing in the sheets. Or bringing in the sheep. Or whatever you happened to sing loudly when you were supposed to sing sheaves. Um, <clears throat> sheaves are bundles of grain that were wrapped together tightly. and you know, A lot of work. A lot of work. And there's a harvest. That's the point. There's a harvest being brought with those who were so weeping. Okay, joy. Joy comes, freedom at last. Now, I want to I shift then to that next section on your study notes. And I, I want you to hang on to everything we just said about history in this moment of return in Psalm 126. But I want to move then to this section called an even greater announcement, Messiah Jesus has come, and then on to that responding part. But, but I'm saying this, even greater than, than the deliverance of a nation... God promised a Savior who would come as our sin-bearer. Um, the darkness of, of the captivity for a nation is pretty bad. But the, the, the struggle of our hearts in this battle with sin is even greater. That was reflected in our play. That was so good. If you remember, there was a moment when our folks up here on stage, the travelers, were reflecting on this. And Grandpa Ken was the one who put his voice to this to say even greater than the captivity that has been ours, even more important and lasting longer, is, the, is, is sin that captures our heart. And oh, how we need a Savior. And it, we saw, of course, in our play and in our sermons that it was in the darkness that God spoke, that season of difficulty. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, <clears throat> um, they spoke. They spoke to the, 
the captives in that time of darkness, a sin bearer, one who would give deliverance from a greater captivity. Those are those fill-ins. Greater captivity than Babylon or Egypt. I want to go to Isaiah 53 here. I cannot fathom an Advent season where in some way or another we do not visit Isaiah 53. I can't do it. So come then, this, this word of deliverance. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, of course, the song of the suffering servant, really beginning back in chapter 52. And I'm going to read just a portion of it. All of it bears reading. In fact, I'm going to start Isaiah 53, verse 3, and read down through verse 6, and just a couple of other lines as well. But this greater announcement, Messiah Jesus is coming. Here, Christmas all over this, okay? The prophet looking ahead to the coming Savior. He writes this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of this looking ahead to Jesus. Verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Indeed, a savior who went to the cross of Calvary to pay the price for our sin. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Propitiation, the heart of the gospel is right here in Isaiah 53. Satisfaction of God in the death of his son in our place. Our sin bearer, his atoning death in our place. Verse 12, he bore the sin of many. Listen, the story of a nation being taken away captive and then released is a wonderful story of deliverance. But even greater is the story of Jesus, who went to a Roman cross and died there in your place and mine, shedding his life's blood to death for your sin and for mine. There, a greater deliverance even than the the salvation of a nation. All of these are reflected in Matthew and in Luke's gospel as well. A Savior who's Christ the Lord. Next year, our play will come to Christmas proper. Where we'd have time today, I was going to go to Luke 1 and 2. And just, I, I love reading the songs that are there. The Magnificat. Read Mary's song. Read, this, read what, what Simeon has to say. Just read the songs that are there. A Savior who has come. Now, here's, here's the final movement I want to take today. If you look under responding to God's word, of course, a couple fill-ins there, deliverance and then forgiveness. We'll complete those, those blanks if you haven't already done it. But I, I want you to notice this. The joy reflected in Psalm 126 foreshadows a much greater day yet to come. And I want to, I want to go there. And that's where we'll close. And I, I, I long so much that some element of what I'm going to try to do here, that it will, will get a hold of your heart. Um, Psalm 126 captures a moment of, of speechless joy. 
something that you may have an analogy for and you may not. But I want to go to the end of the book, Revelation 21 and 22, and I want, I want us to think about this day of speechless joy. All right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surf these two chapters, which means I'm going to read different parts. Not really sure which. I'm going to start at verse 1, but we'll, we'll work it through as we go along. But I want you to hear this other day of deliverance, this other day of unspeakable joy, not only in history as we look at a nation coming back, but God's people fully and finally delivered. Hear God's word in Revelation 21. The Apostle John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. How loud do you think this voice was? Very, I think, would be the correct adjective. A loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. What is, what is it that binds you today? If you're walking in a season of difficulty, what is it? What is it? Well, let me tell you this. I don't know how long it will last here, but I know this. It won't survive the trip to heaven. Okay? It all stays here. Death, it says, shall be no more, nor shall, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for these former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And then you move on down to a description, uh, starting verse 9. Uh, come, come, he says, come, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Took me away to this great mountain to look at this city, Jerusalem. Its radiance, verse 11, like a most rare jewel. And then description of it, the walls, the gates, paragraph that follows its size, the beauty of it, the street of the city, verse 21, was like pure gold, was pure gold like transparent glass. In other words, the things that you value here, you're going to walk on in heaven. Stuff you thought you needed desperately to make your life meaningful. I got to get gold. I got to get this. I got to get money. You walk on. It's like asphalt. Complete reversal of the things we value. I saw no temple, 22, in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk, and kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. What does night represent in the Bible? In many cases, it represents our seasons of darkness. Not always, but often, often. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. No evil, nothing to do wrong, no injustice ever again. In other words, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads, and night, there it is again, night will be no more. I think either out there or in here, in me. That They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Verse 7, behold, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. And I find it no wonder that John... 90-some years old, exiled on an island in the Mediterranean. Uh, no doubt that he would say, come, yes, come, come, Lord Jesus. Here's, here's what I want you to get a hold of here, all right? For the captives of old, there was a moment that was so good to be true, it was hard to believe. You could hardly put words to it. The Bible describes a yet coming day for the people of God when we too will be fully and finally delivered from those things here that trouble and distress and dog us, death itself, into a place that's better, that's final, where the ultimate good is such that you will have a hard time putting words to what you see and experience. And I picture just like the moment where I described where the, the captives ran from one to the other and said, can you believe it? Look, we're free. Can you imagine the streets of heaven? And I, I, I'm not, this isn't in the Bible. I'm making this up. That's why I'm saying, can you imagine? People running down the street saying, look at this place. Look at this. Look at this. Hey, hey, there's so-and-so. Who knew? Hey, look. <laughs> Even as they look at us and go, huh? <laughs> you made it. Wow. Look at this place. Can you believe it? We're here. Do you remember all those problems we had? What's the answer? No. <laughs> Do you remember that awful thing you could hardly wait to get rid of? Do you remember the brokenness of your soul? Do you remember the way people hurt you? Do you remember all that list of things you wanted to ask God when you got there? No, you don't. Because you're looking around going, this is far better than anything I would have guessed. Look at this, freedom finally. And my heart is finally fully cleaned up. Not a struggle or a bad thought or a discouraging word. Finally, I'm well. Finally, I'm whole. Finally, whatever darkness or difficulty or pain I carried is gone. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yes, until then, we walk in faith. We do. We walk in faith. And we say, Lord, help me today. But you don't keep your, you, you, listen, you don't get your eyes off of that day. It's in the Bible for your good, for your encouragement, so that you will not lose heart. That's why it's here. You're supposed to know it's coming. There's coming a day that this thing, that this thing, 
will finally be well. Oh, Lord Jesus, come, come. I hope you know Jesus is your Savior. I hope you do. If you do, that day is yours as sure as anything. And you'll be there, all of it because of Jesus. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, what in the world are you waiting for? Come on. Trust Christ and him alone as your Savior from sin. Turn to him today. Forgiveness for sin. His presence in your life now. Heaven for sure. I want to pray for us. God, make it so. Father, thank you so much for your word. How good to see beyond today. Through the eyes of faith as the word of God tells us about it. Father, across this room and through this congregation, there are many who I know walk in some kind of a season of difficulty or struggle or darkness. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's relational, financial. I I know, I know many who grieve losses of loved ones this past year. This season, especially, we're aware. Father, my heart as well goes to a law enforcement family today, grieving. Father, thank you that there's coming a day, a coming a day of full and final release, wholeness, wellness. Can you believe it? We're free. Thank you that that day's coming all because of Jesus. We pray together in his name. Amen. Amen.